Hello and welcome back to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex, Associate Editor and Film Writer at Deadline Hollywood. Uh, How's everybody doing out there? I know we have been absent for a little bit. Um, I've been on a bit of a hiatus. Had a lot going on in July, specifically Comic-Con. And that took up a lot of space and bandwidth. And anyway, it doesn't matter because we are back in August. And all this week, I'm going to be releasing episodes, you know, that would have normally been released in July. But because of what happened, they're going to be released uh, Tuesday through Friday. And we got some really wonderful guests coming up this week. Uh, Notori Naughton Lewis, Juliette Binoche. Mia Isaacs and Hannah Marks, but today's episode is with indigenous actor Michael Grayeyes. Now, Michael Grayeyes has been in the industry for a little over 30 years, I think, and he's a Plains Cree actor of the Muskeg Lake First Nation from Canada. He's been acting for a long time, like I said, and he feels like now he's just finding his footing. Uh, especially with his recurring role on the Peacock comedy series, Rutherford Falls, which premiered its second season back in June of this year. Now, Rutherford Falls is a comedy about two lifelong friends, Nathan Rutherford and Reagan Wells, whose relationship is tested when a crisis hits their small town. On the show, Grey Eyes plays Terry Thomas, the CEO of a Minnesonka casino, and Thomas envisions big things for both Reagan and the success of their nation. Now, in the in this interview, he talks highly of the show, its work ethic, the writers, and just sort of everything involved in making the show. Recently, Grey Eyes is coming off of two historic nominations, one at the Film Independent Awards and the other at the Gotham Awards for his work on season one of Rutherford Falls, as well as his performance in the film Wild Indian, which I believe premiered at Sundance earlier this year. And he also appears in Blumhouse's Firestarter film, which just, you know, finished wrapping up. And he also has a first look deal with the studio as the first Native actor to have one. Now, I don't know if you've seen Blood Quantum, because Blood Quantum is the horror film that came out in 2019 before the pandemic. And that one won a Canadian Screen Award. And the this man is just doing a little bit of everything, a little bit all over the place. He's worked with Jessica Chastain, Mark Ruffalo. He's worked with Kate Bosworth and Jesse Eisenberg. He he He's super talented. The first time I remember seeing Michael Gray Eyes um, on, in television or film was on a couple of episodes of Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman. Now, I know that that show is now considered to be problematic because of just everything uh, going on with the show, but I do remember him playing a character in a two-part uh, episode. I don't remember the name of the episode, but I do know he was on Dr. Quinn. And, you know, I remember thinking, wow, it's high time that they get some actual Native American representation there. And, you know, that was in, was that 98 or 97? So 
and you know, he was in the business before that. So that just gives you an idea of how long he's been doing this. So anyway, on this episode, we really, really, really get into a deep conversation about the politics of casting and where Native American actors are in the grand scheme of things in Hollywood. And we also talk a great deal about Rutherford Falls and some of the other projects that he's working on. And I really hope you guys enjoy this episode. And with that said, let's get into it. Thank you for for coming uh, and chatting with me on the Scene to Scene podcast, uh, Mr. Gray Eyes. You've been in the business for a really long time. And the first question I have is, what is the most notable change that you've witnessed that has happened since you started in the business until now? Um, I mean, a lot has changed, right? Like, uh, I, I started, um, you know, 30 years ago, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were still shooting on film. Right. Um, <laughs> well, that's so. the first noticeable one. <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, when we'd, when you'd roll, it really, you know, it was, it was precious because right. film was expensive. Right. Um, right. So, right. so right. things like that have changed, of course. But, you know, the process of filming uh, remains much the same. I think for me, the... Um, uh, the biggest change is uh, how uh, my community is more, uh, uh, much more deeply embedded mm-hmm. inside the system mm-hmm. uh, that makes content, and um, and you know perhaps because of that, perhaps because you know I've just been in the industry so long, I'm I'm accessing the kind of roles that you know I'd always hoped to. Mm-hmm. So those those are the big changes for me. I'm really. Before I get into talking about Rutherford Falls and the other things that you're doing, I am so fascinated in hearing about Indigenous folks and and Native Americans who are in this business and who've been in it for a long time and the experiences and barriers to access that they've had, Um, you know, especially in the past, I know people probably ask you this question over and over, but I think it would be, you know, great for the listeners to hear about some of those barriers that you experienced when, you know, you were first starting out and even, you know, throughout the trajectory of your career. Uh, yeah, I think, I think, uh, you know, I, I have a, I have a master's degree from Kent State University and, and, you know, part of my thesis was examining how, um, performers, and mm. I was I was really inspired actually by um, by uh, black performers mm-hmm. um, in cinema in early cinema, and how uh, you know people of color have always been in cinema, uh, but we have used the opportunity as performers to subvert mm-hmm. the process, a process that was out of our control for the most part and drag it towards us a kind of subjectivity um, because we were on screen and because we had some uh, measure of, you know, like we could affect something. Right. So right. Um, Donald Bogle was a, was a scholar I really liked. And he talked about how, uh, you know, black performers 
would slyly shift change um, characterizations into mm-hmm. something that was that was ster- writ- written stereotypically, but they moved it uh, to a place where you know there was uh, you know beautiful craft present and some notes of authenticity, right? Right. So that's that's that was my experience. Um, you know, we we had projects written by uh, by settlers, so settler voices, settler lenses, um, and but they were filming. You know, you know our history. Technically, you know, I did a lot of westerns. I did a lot of period mm-hmm. pieces, and uh, you know, part of my uh, part of my approach was simply. Um, how do I expand this character? Mm-hmm. How do I make him uh, uh, more like the people that I grew up with? Mm-hmm. And so in that role, you know, I had, I had to, you know, be a researcher. I had to be an advocate. I had to be an educator. You know, I'd say, okay, so this is not how it, this is, this is, this scene is weird. Mm-hmm. because This is not how it works to be more authentic is this, you know, mm-hmm. so um, I'd be doing it in the context uh, of, you know, either, you know, a cooperative collaborator or somebody who is dismissive. So, you know, you're always just working. You're, you're always. Mm-hmm. So in a way I was being um, paid as an actor, but I was also doing the work of cultural consultants. Um, oh man. Of, you know, basic research. Mm-hmm. Uh, often at that time, um, it was much more common to cast non-natives in native roles. Right. So I'd be actually working alongside people who didn't have access to cultural information. And, and so it was, it was problematic in so many ways, right. To try and get something that felt right. That felt real. Uh, but we persevered. <laughs> right. And we just kept at it. And I think, um, you know, that whole generation of, of actors like Tantu Cardinal and Gary Farmer and August Schellenberg, Gordon Tatusis, like all these great, great actors that, you know, I grew up um, seeing on television and then ultimately working with and mm-hmm. learning from. Um, this was a multi-generational uh, advocacy uh, that's brought us, I think, to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, not, you know, no one allowed us to do anything. We just demanded it. Right. And, you know, sometimes you have to be the ones to kick the door down, because I think after you realize that no one else is going to do it for you, um, because so many are satisfied with the way things have always been, mm. um, you know, it's, I always find it brave of anyone who women or people of color who are just like, I don't like the way things are and I want to make a change. And now with something like Rutherford Falls, which you know, is a comedy, but deals with something that is super relevant today because we've been, you know, since 2020, especially, and the George Floyd uh, murder by police, people have been taking down, you know, racist historical figures and just getting rid of that history to try to forge a new path. And is that what sort of attracted you to the role and to the show in general? Or was it the people or a combination of everything? I think it's certainly a combination of everything. It's certainly, a, uh, certainly timing. Um, it's, cer- it's my first comedy. It's my first mm. comedic role. 
So I, wow. I was, of course, I was delighted to uh, be finally afforded an opportunity to perform something other than, right. um, you know, the, the kind of characters that, you know, I've, I've been working with mm-hmm. for, you know, nearly, you know, 30 years. Right, right. Um, so that was certainly exciting just on a personal artistic level. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the show was different because we had a native showrunner. Like, wow, so right. finally there was a person within the decision-making layer of uh, the production um, who had our backs, right? right. And part of her, uh, you know, uh, this is Sierra Teller Ornelas, um, uh, who, who's so brilliant. Um, when she came on and, and she was like, well, if I'm a showrunner, I, I need to have half the room be, be native writers. And right. the producers were like, of course. And she was like, oh, <laughs> I don't have to fight for this. I don't have to like explain why. And they were like, if half the story is about the community, why, why wouldn't there be native writers? And so, um, you know, that, of course, was extremely attractive to me. Um, right. In terms of the timing of it, uh, I remember Christopher Walken said something interesting. There were people asked him, like, why he, he took roles. Mm-hmm. But he was like, uh, at, at various times, like, why did you take this role? And he, he was a bit facetious, but he goes, because it was offered to me. Mm-hmm. Like, certainly, you know, like a star like Christopher Walken, who is just taking jobs and working and right. certainly choosing. Um, uh, actors uh, from my community have many less job opportunities. So for me to, you know, or or others to refuse work is actually because it's, it's, you know, so bad or so inauthentic is actually um, financially really terrifying, you know, because of our already the dearth of opportunities. Right. Um, So at the time I, I I really wanted to work on a series, a television series, you know, to have a chance to work with a larger arc of a character, Mm -hmm. a character that was developed perhaps over, over an entire season, over a Mm -hmm. couple of seasons. Um, and so that, that felt very attractive to me. But as the world exploded around us and as we uh, realized uh, that America hadn't really changed very much. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you know, my experience um, is that uh, America, Canada included, they're both settler states. Right. Um, they only change because we force them to change. I was going to say they had to be bullied into changing. You, they have to be literally browbeaten and shamed right. into change. Right. And, you know, the sort of this reversal, uh, you know, that we're seeing, you know, like sort of like, this is not America. I can't believe this happening. I'm like, are right. you kidding me? This has always been America. I mean, it's built on, um, it's built on blood and bones, mm-hmm. you know, of, of both our communities and other communities as well. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm like, actually, America is just showing us who it really is and always was. Um, so these ideas of progression, you know, like we look at the Supreme Court, we look at all these things, mm-hmm. we look at the abrogation of, of treaty rights through, the, you know, the recent uh, Supreme Court decision. It's like, actually, it's just true to form. Right, right, right. <laughs> we're not sliding backwards. It's just we're, we are, the masks have been pulled away for what they've always wanted. So I... I'm sorry. Yes, I, I think I think I think this show is an antidote to that. 
And, and that's one of the reasons why I did it, because it's unapologetically uh, powerful. Social media is a big part of that sort of exposure, right? And that we're not just looking at the newspaper anymore and social media is like the fastest way to disseminate information. Mm. So we're seeing all of these things that happen in real time. Um, and it's not something that could be hidden from us or kept under the rug or, you know, a story that's been sort of killed or whatever at a magazine, we can all see it in live action. And so <clears throat> to, to, to talk a little bit about your character, Tammy, Terry Thomas, how would you describe their sort of growth over, over the season from the first episode to when the, 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 the season is sort of wrapped up and what does that look like going forward into season two? Uh, well, the, in season one, I mean, uh, if you look at, uh, you know, the sort of stereotypes of a casino boss, you know, mm -hmm. that, you know, we already have things that come mm -hmm. to our minds based on uh, media images. Um, Sierra said that the great thing about Terry is that there's a lot of Terry's out there in Indian country and we know them mm -hmm. and they are, you know, they're, they're sly um, businessmen and women and they um, use the system in order to get what they want. And they're not villains. Mm. Sometimes you might think, oh, you know, they don't seem very traditional or, or anything, but, but they're, you know, good people gaming a system, mm -hmm. you know, that was, uh, that was rigged against us. Mm. So I loved playing all the, um, I, I, I guess you could call it the, the, the sly, smart businessman. Mm -hmm. like, so all of the threads through that first season where he was just the cleverest guy in the room. I love playing that because that's not how we've been portrayed. We're, we're not usually this, the way it's been written. We're not usually the smartest people in the room. Mm -hmm. You know, we are, we are, um, we're either victims or some other kind of character foils. Uh, but I love that. So for me, that was a beautiful exploration. Also, mm -hmm. um, uh, in in episode four, the Terry Thomas episode, there was a scene with uh, uh, and Dio, um, who played my daughter Maya, mm -hmm. and there was a scene with a with a native man and his teenage daughter having a conversation about life. You know, mm -hmm. in this case, business. And I said to Sierra at the time, I said to anyone who was listening, I was like, we never see images like this. Mm -hmm. We never see this relationship, father daughter relationship, um, that wasn't couched in. Um, either sort of trauma or conflict or anger. Um, it was it was beautiful and joyful and funny, and so I think that was, um, you know, something I relished in, in season one. Uh, the the sort of the other side of the coin mm -hmm. of the sly businessman. And what I like about Rutherford Falls is that these are we're looking at you know, indigenous folks and um, in Native Americans, but we're looking at them as people and not as like the, you know, sort of over the history of where, I don't know how to explain it, but 
there's, I guess there's a nice balance of cultural and, and, and humanity. And I know that that sounds weird to say, but when I think over the portrayals of Native Americans on screen, it's so separate from waking life. I don't know how to explain it, but it's just always those characters are sort of separated from the humanity of the other characters that they're playing outside of. I don't know oh, if that makes I sense. I understand that completely. No, yeah, no that's I, completely. You know, I, I was talking with um, different filmmakers and and uh, and I said, you know, uh, Ed Helms, you know, has learned a lot, you know, working mm-hmm. on the show with us. And <clears throat> um, I described those characters, you know, the way, the way we were written, the way mm-hmm. you just described it as metaphors. We're not really characters. We're metaphors for something else. Mm-hmm. You know, we are, we're avatars for some idea mm-hmm. that the writers or society would like would like us to be framed by Mm -hmm. um but these characters are not metaphors they're actually fully full they're full body they're three-dimensional so they're actually paradoxical just like real people are Mm -hmm. and so um so that's just better writing uh any other kind of writing is lazy right right like that's just lazy like uh aren't you embarrassed like right they imbue um, white characters with that level of complexity, but right. characters around them, especially uh, characters, you know, from different cultures or mm-hmm. different ethnicities, um, they're kind of like two note, like right? One note, and they're metaphors or foils against which, you know, the they're white not characters there to serve learn. a purpose. Yeah, they're plot devices they are um stepping stones for the main white character yes exactly but Rutherford Falls you know in other films um and things that I've seen especially recently um two of which you've been in (laughs) Wild Indian and Blood Quantum um are are people are just about people going through circumstances who happen to be Native Americans Exactly. As opposed to like, I don't know, you know, I just, I just think about it and I'm like, it's taken way too fucking long. (laughs) It's Uh, taken way too long. And it's so, and it's so simple, isn't it? It's like, just write Terry Thomas and cast Michael Gray eyes and that's it. (laughs) And the formula is so simple, but it's complicated by the diminishment and the dehumanization of native culture. Right. I'm sorry. I'm on my like soapbox. I'm sorry. Um, no, 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 no. I, and I totally, I, I, I hear you and I agree with you a thousand percent. Like look at the character of trailer in blood quantum. Right. Like we could look at him as, you know, this, a native man, but it's Jeff was so sly. He just wrote, a, a beleaguered he was a bad dad mm-hmm. a beleaguered uh sheriff who wasn't up to the task mm-hmm. like there's a lot of white characters like that like right, a beleaguered right. sheriff not up to the task who's in a divorce and he's a terrible father but the and world ends and he has to figure it shit out mm-hmm. like that could be played you know theoretically by you know um a south asian man right you know and just move it to you know 
Indonesia or somewhere, right? Right, right. Um, but Jeff was like, no, I just, there's stock characters that I put inside my community, characters that we all recognize, you know, uh, and, but it's just inside the native community. We're just telling the story. And it's, you know, the film was so well received and it's such a beautiful movie. It's about, it's about fatherhood. It's mm-hmm. about all these things. It's just like, it just happens to be native. There's the, there's the secret sauce. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, also um, another film uh, that I plan to check out um, that was sent to me called A Wildhood that uh, I need to check out because it's, um, you know, in, in my genre of things I like to cover, which is like queer um, sort of storytelling and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, we don't get that either from Native culture. And it's like, I'm just so glad, even though it took like, you know, like 200 years of filmmaking to get to this <laughs> point, we're finally here. And, I, you know, I try to just be grateful for what we've got. But I think it's really important that we always examine what came before because we don't need to go back there because going back there means nothing. That means nobody gets anything of yeah. substance. And yeah, Wildhood is beautiful. I, I, I'm very proud of that movie. I can't wait to, uh, to check it out. And I wanted to ask you a tough question. Um, well, it may not be so tough, but I'm, I'm curious to know when was the first time you saw yourself in a character in a film or on television? Um, well, of course, I, I recognized myself mm-hmm. in uh, uh, Native characters on film. Mm-hmm. But you're asking about me, like yes. Michael. <laughs> Michael. I'm asking about you. Um, I, I actually feel like it was in episode four of Rutherford wow. um, where I saw a father, you know, cause that, that's, you know, that's like one of my main joys in life is mm-hmm. being a dad. Mm-hmm. And I just, I saw all kinds of dads, uh, you know, portrayed on film, um, you know, native dads and, but they didn't encompass me mm-hmm. like that scene with uh, that scene with Gao and Deal. That was, that was like, that was me. Right. It was more me than Terry in some ways. Right, right, right. So, uh, so very specifically, I saw myself, Michael, um, in episode four of, uh, of Rutherford Falls, a show that I was part of. But I'd seen, you know, my dad, I'd seen my uncles, I'd seen parts of me, you know, in many other films. Um, I think to answer that question, I, I think the first character I really was proud of was Bromden in One Foe with the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm-hmm. Will Sampson's character. I've mm-hmm. written about him many times. Um, that was deeply influential to me because I saw a character who was, um, who was smarter than everyone in the room. Right. Um, and powerful. And embraced by this group of mostly white misfits. But yeah. it was just sort of like, look, we're all in this place together. So what does it matter if this person is black and this person is something else we're all trying to get out and so that was really uh, I could see why that would be powerful because that was a a time where somebody was just sort of a part of the group and not Mm -hmm. 
a Native American a part of the group. Right, right. And um, in in a, in a theater production as well for my thesis, uh, Bromden was was my thesis character. Wow. So, so yeah. that, that must have been sort of like a a powerful sort of three sixty moment, you know, full circle moment for you. Truly. Um, I guess the other question I wanted to ask is, what are and I know we've talked a little bit about it, but what specified tropes are you tired of seeing? Like, I always think back to um, Last of the Mohicans and I just, it used to be my favorite movie as a kid when I wasn't being critical and I was, you know, growing up and was like, you know, watching all different types of films and sort of in that, in that trajectory is a film called Glory. There's Last of the Mohicans, there's The Dances with Wolves and mm. all mm. this other crap. Um, and I just, I'm curious to know, like, what do you, what do you hope to like absolutely never see again? <laughs> um, well, uh, the first thing is uh, don't kill us anymore. Um, uh, when you see uh, Native characters die, um, it is a very old trope. It's mm. a very old insidious idea that, you know, one of our, uh, one of, one of our jobs in cinema is, you know, to be a victim. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't kill us anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you know, drilling down into that idea, uh, stop killing our women. Mm-hmm. Um, the, Native guys are, you know, we survive mostly. There is, there's almost, uh, the, you know, there's the Isla test, right? Like it's the, it's like the Bechdel test, but for Native mm-hmm. uh, women, there's only two questions, in the <laughs> test, right? Like it's so, it's so egregious the treatment of of our women in, in film. There's only two questions in mm-hmm. the Bechdel test. Um, does a native woman experience violence or get killed? Mm-hmm. That's question number one. And mm-hmm. number two is, are they romantically involved with a white guy? Mm, dang. Most films fail that test. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's not a good uh, track record there. Right. So if those two things had to change, uh, yeah, that would be great. This is so simple, isn't it? It's, it's so so simple and like you know I'm still seeing you know even on shows today I'm still seeing the typical fill-in for Native American um you know finding women who look Native but are not Mm. they may be Asian or you know biracial but they are not Native Right. This is a specific, yeah, about that too. You know, this is a specific show that I'm thinking about. You may know it. It starts with a Y and it's on Peacock. <laughs> um, you mm. will, uh, if you look it up, you'll know what I mean. Is it, on, is, it, is it on AMC? It's on Peacock. Starts with a Y. I don't want to say the full name. Yeah. Yeah. I think I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah. Um, that's still a problem right? Because um, those showrunners are not from our community. Right. 
And so, uh, you know, uh, they'd like to have their cake and eat it too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in terms of what, what, what changes or, uh, what things we need, um, certainly is, uh, to not, um, have our characters there as, uh, uh, you remember in uh, like those old films about Egypt where the Pharaoh yeah. was on a chair mm-hmm. there's like a bunch of like schmucks yeah carrying the Pharaoh mm-hmm. um don't use us that way don't right. use us to drive your story forward don't use us to um carry a white character to you know glory um that's got to change mm-hmm. and the show you're talking about I feel like and, and other shows they certainly um they certainly uh, sideline us mm-hmm. uh, in really big ways. Um, one last question I wanted to ask you is, what are you passionate about? Um, in a way that sort of involves this industry and in sort of moving narratives forward. I want to I want to hear about what you're passionate about. I think what I'm passionate about is um, ending trauma porn. Um, uh, there's a wonderful, uh, writer, um, activist named Kim Harvey, uh, mm-hmm. in, uh, up here in Canada. And, um, uh, she writes about, uh, like what w- the place of trauma in our stories mm-hmm. and our communities have a lot of trauma and historical trauma, et cetera, and intergenerational trauma. Um, but she made a really interesting point. She said, who, who's that trauma for? We don't need to know it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we're like, we live with it or mm-hmm. acknowledge it or, you know, see it in our families or in our communities. Um, she says that's for the settler. Oh yeah. And she said, um, why, why would we privilege that, that idea inside our stories? Uh, what about joy? What about mm-hmm. humor? What about, um, healing what about all that right and so that i mean that's what our communities need to consume healing joy power empowerment that that's the stories we should write um she said if you feel that trauma creeping back into your story she goes question why and who that's for mm-hmm um, I think that's such a powerful statement. I think that's why I love, uh, that's why I love um, uh, Rutherford Falls on Peacock so much is because um, if you look at the shows, they assiduously avoid that kind of um, the revisitation of that kind of trauma for mm-hmm. us. We're outside of that. We are beyond that. Mm-hmm. And we, we exude power. We are about joy and connection and healing it's really it's actually highly political mm-hmm. to do that oh yeah it's 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 subversion it's it's a political statement anything that goes against the status quo can be considered radical and political and you know i i still think that there's a very very long way to go but i do acknowledge and want to acknowledge 
how much further um, the representation has moved. Yeah, the revolution may be televised. Maybe, maybe, (laughs) if we can get the right people telling the right stories. But thank you so much for your candidness and, you know, just sort of keeping it real when it comes to these things. Um, Because I understand there's a lot of people who, you know, like to keep mum on things because they want to keep their status and they don't want to lose it. I don't blame them, Mm. you know, but um, we have to, if we want things to change, we have to start being honest with ourselves and the world and what the world looks like around us. So thank you again, Michael Gray Eyes, for for coming on and talking with me on the Scene to Scene podcast. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much, Valerie. It It was a pleasure talking to you about it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take care. 